Why don't you get your Bibles and you can turn with me. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture this morning and uh, we'll put it all up on the screen. So whether you turn, whether you click or whether you just follow along with us, um, if you want to, you can turn to Matthew chapter four. Um, if you're really talented at turning to scripture, you can also turn to Romans chapter five and Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to hit some things in the middle. All right. And so, but we're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning. We've been in this series called gospel gospel, very important term, um, for anyone who names the name of Christ, very important term, this term gospel. Um, it's important because Jesus told us to go and proclaim the gospel. So if you're a believer, we, we have this thing called the Great Commission. It was where Jesus told his followers. Now, the, the, the problem with this is he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And, and people look at disciples as though they were vocational ministers who were called to preach. And unfortunately, a lot of people see that word preach and you think, yes, pastor, that is your job to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The only problem is you want me here on the weekends. And, and so the problem with that is Ephesians 4 says it's actually my job to convince you it's your job. So welcome to employment, right? It is actually all of our jobs to go into the world, and I would rather use announce instead of preach, announce or proclaim the gospel or good news, right? I mean, this is a great, we get a great job. We get to go into all the world and give good news, very different from CNN, very different from a lot of news networks. We, we actually give new, good news and, and our news is actually somewhat factual. And so, and so anyways, I don't want any email. I won't read them. So anyways, um, but we get to go on all the world and preach and, and announce good news. Now, here's the thing. We need to be really clear on what the news is that we're supposed to announce, right? Because it, there's a lot of good news out there, right? And we could go into all the world and announce some good news, but we want to make sure we're announcing the right good news. And so for most people, if I said, hey, would you tell me what the gospel is? You would say, yeah, Jesus died for our sins so we can go to heaven. And, and by the way, that is relevant because the death rate is about 100%. And, and, and after you die, you go somewhere. And the best I can study the Bible, there are only two options at that point, heaven or hell, right? And, you know, kind of like Forrest Gump said, I'm not a smart man. But if an option is hell and an option is heaven, I'm going to go after heaven, Right? So that's relevant good news that you can die and go to heaven. However, that is not what Jesus preached. In fact, Jesus never preached much about himself and never asked us to preach about him. In fact, Jesus had a little bit of a different message than you can die and go to heaven. In fact, his message was actually aimed more at how you live on the earth. It's true, it would get you to heaven, but it was really aimed more at the earth. See, um, in Luke chapter four, verse 43, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, I, he said, I've got to go proclaim or preach this good news. There's gospel of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. I was sent for this purpose. His good news was about a kingdom I would, I would want you to understand, if you don't, that Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. In fact, Jesus didn't, if you remember correctly, there's only one group of people he couldn't seem to get along with. And, and, and you know, in a, in a very holy way, he kind of said some mean things to him. Right? I mean, they were truthful, but not pleasant. 
A few verses earlier in verse 17 of Luke chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus went about announcing and preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, Jesus' message, his good news, was that there was a kingdom present on the earth. The Bible is not about a religion. It's not about a God. It's not about subjects who worship a God. The Bible is the constitution of a kingdom, and it reveals the heart of the king to his royal family. We are kings and priests. We are a royal priest. Jesus is the king of kings, not because he's over the, the king of France or the queen of England, right? Or any other king. Jesus is the king of kings because you're actually a king. You're the lowercase king. He's the uppercase king. He told Adam, I want you to go, I want you to subdue, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, take dominion. That word dominion could have just as easily been, as Basilia in the Greek could have just as easily been kingdom. I want you to go and have kingdom. Subdue means bring under your control. Dominion means rule over it. Adam was a son. He was also a king. And so this is what we've been talking about. And I don't have time to go back and preach all the messages, but today I want to talk about living the gospel. What does it mean? What does it look like to live the gospel? Romans 5 verse 17, it's a, it's a great text. Some of the greatest teaching there is on grace is Romans 3 through Romans 9. But Romans 5, um, Paul says this. He says, for it because one man's trespass, death reigned. There's one kingdom. Right? That was the overthrow of the kingdom when Adam and Eve fell and death reigned. He said, so death reigned through that one man. Much more those who receive, I like this, the abundance of grace. That word would mean super abounding grace. I don't know about you, but since I need a lot of grace, it's a big deal that God offers a lot. Now, you may not need any, and that's good for you, Pharisee. But for me, I need a lot of it, right? I need a lot of grace. For me, it's good. Here's good news. I can't earn any part of the kingdom, but he has freely given me all things through his son. God will not let you earn it, but he will give it to you for free by grace through faith. So grace is a big deal because the only thing, everything in the kingdom comes one way, grace. The only way into the kingdom is grace, and the only way to access the kingdom is grace, and the only way to get the resources of this kingdom is grace. You can't earn it but you can receive it. He said, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Righteousness is not a goal for me to achieve. It is a gift that I receive. I am made righteous by the work of Jesus, not the work of Marty. And that's a big deal because Marty doesn't do well all the time. So I'm okay with my righteousness being maintained by Jesus. Now I maintain my relationship with Jesus, but he maintains my righteousness. I'm totally cool with that. The free gift of righteousness. And then it says, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, it's important that we look at this because death reigned. There's how one kingdom reigned. Now he's telling us how the other kingdom reigns. Right? And it starts with grace because there is, you, you cannot understand kingdom until you understand grace. Right? And you cannot understand kingdom until you get rid of religion because religion is hell substitute for kingdom. 
All right. And so then he says, reign in life. Now that, that preposition in could actually have been translated by. Reign by life. That word life, there are like three Greek words that we translate life, you know, biological life and um, different things. But anyways, that one is actually Zoe. Most people are familiar with that one. That's the life by the spirit. Here's what he's saying. If you're going to be a king, you got to understand grace, and then you reign by the Spirit. You cannot reign by intellectual capacity. You can't reign by learning spiritual formulas because the Bible is not a spell book. Right? You, you can't reign just by changing the content of your thoughts. Right? Because this is not Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live years ago. I'm good enough and I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. That's not how this works. We don't reign by our ability, our capacity, our intellect, or even our will. We reign by the Spirit. We reign by the Spirit. And so I want to I talk about living the gospel. Three things that you could write down this morning. The first thing is you need to understand there are two realms. The Bible talks about two realms. It talks about the heavens and the earth. Um, now, when we think of heaven, we think of God, but the Bible says there's warfare in heavenly places. See, we, we, unfortunately, we got this idea somewhere, I don't know where it came from, that heaven was like in space somewhere. Like heaven is up there somewhere. But if heaven is up there for us, it is down there for Australia. <laughs> right? And so we have assigned a physical location somewhere to heaven but heaven is not physical, it's spiritual, right? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is in the Spirit. So there are two realms. There is earth and there is heaven. Psalm 115, verse 16, it says, The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The heavens are the Lord's, the earth he has given to the sons of men. There are two realms. The Bible talks about these two realms, Right? It even says we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That's actually all in one realm. It's in the heavenlies. Are you with me? Jesus said it this way in John 18, verse 36. I love this passage because he's talking with Pilate. And Pilate, I love it when Jesus says, Don't you know that I have the authority to, you know, basically take your life? And Jesus said what my grandmother said many, many times. Bless his heart. <laughs> Jesus said, no one takes it from me. I lay it down. But anyways, Jesus and Pilate are having this great conversation. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's in a different realm. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants, they would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Harry. This is Harry. He's a very excited person. Um, Harry is real, but Harry only exists in two dimensions. Do you see that? He has width and he has height. He has two dimensions. Harry is real and Harry is in this room. I am also real and I am in this room. Who is more real? Actually, I am. Why am I more real? Because I have a third dimension. I have depth. So Harry and I are in this room. Now, Harry can't hear me because I am more real and have more dimension. Harry really can't see me with his own eyes because I'm more real and have depth. 
So technically, Harry, who is real, is in a room with me, who I'm real. I'm actually more real than Harry, more powerful than Harry. You can see me. You can hear me. Harry can't see me and hear me because he doesn't have the capacity to see me and hear me, but yet I'm actually more real and in the room. And if Harry doesn't know that there's another way to see, another way to hear, another dimension to interact with, then Harry could actually live his life and never experience the greater reality of me and you in this room. But we're all in the room together. You're in this room, but there's something else in this room. There's actually a kingdom in this room by the Holy Spirit. It is actually more real than anything you've ever seen. In that room, there are voices and there is speaking, there is singing, there are angels. And all of that is going on in this room. But if you assume that you can only see what you can see and only hear what you can hear, then you might miss the reality that the kingdom of heaven is actually in this room. In fact, that was Jesus' message, was repent, change the way you see and think. Why? Because there's a kingdom on this earth that was not previously here, but it is here now. And if you think you can only see with these eyes and only hear with these ears, you will miss a power and a provision and a substance. You will miss a rule and a reign that has authority over everything you face, every problem you have, every sickness you experience. And it's all present here now because the king is here now. But if you limit yourself to what you've always seen and always heard, you'll never interact with a greater reality that's actually just one dimension over. <laughs> um, I would tell you that that's what Adam and Eve lost in the fall. If you think about it, Adam and Eve had conversation with snakes. Now, they only had conversation with snakes. They didn't, they didn't weird them out. I'm going to assume that today if you were in your yard and a snake came up and said, how's it going? <laughs> that next week you would be on Prozac. Right? You'd be like, I've got to have some I've got to have some drugs. Like there's something broken here. But they thought nothing about it. Adam and Eve could walk to a tree and pull life off of it and eat it. They could also look at a tree that had knowledge hanging on it, which they were told not to partake of. I don't know about you. I, I, I don't have a knowledge or life tree in my yard. And so Adam and Eve had the capacity actually to experience both realms simultaneously. And when they fell, one set of eyes were closed. Why? Because they died. They died. And all of a sudden they couldn't see. And all of a sudden they couldn't hear. They were limited to one realm. Jesus comes back and says, hey, we're going to have to change the way you process reality. Repent. That doesn't mean change your behavior. It means change the way you process reality. Why? Because there's actually a realm here that you're missing. And so the Bible talks about these two realms, and it says heaven is actually the control realm of earth. The Bible is all about a colonization project where the kingdom of heaven wanted to colonize the earth. And so God's will, simply put, on earth, as it is, believe it or not, this is not a rescue mission. This is a redemption mission. This is a restoration. This is a fixer-upper. 
not a demolition fixer-upper, right? And so there are two realms. You could write this down. <clears throat> so our assignment is to increase the rule of heaven over the earth. It's actually the calling of God on your life. To increase the rule of a spiritual kingdom over a physical planet. It's exactly what Adam was created for. Go back to before the beginning. Back to before the beginning. God is in heaven. He has three archangels, Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer. We also know, a.k.a. Satan. Satan decided that he wanted to be worshipped. So he led a rebellion. The Bible says this dragon, Satan, led a third of the stars of heaven. Most, most theologians believe maybe that was a third of the demonic beings or, or angelic beings, which now we would call demonic beings. Speculations out on that, but that's what people believe. Um, I don't, I, that's kind of what I believe, but no one can really know some of these things for sure until later. So he leads a rebellion against God. It lasts almost a second. You need to understand that, that God and Satan are not the same. They're not even on the same level. Satan's a created being. God is the creator, right? Satan leads, by the way, Satan and Jesus are not on the same playing field either because Jesus is God. Satan's still a created. Jesus is the agent of creation for all things were made of him and through him, right? But Satan is still a created being, right? Um, in fact, when you look at the hierarchy, the Bible, some versions say, and he made us a little bit lower than the angels. That's not right. The actual Hebrew word in the Psalm is Elohim said he made us a little bit lower than God and angels are ministering spirits. So Satan actually in the hierarchy is a little bit lower than you. He just likes to convince you that he's bigger than you because he's a bully. So, <laughs> so there's this rebellion that lasts almost a second and Jesus tells us kind of how it terminated. He said, and I saw Satan fall like lightning. And he fell to where? To the earth. Now, God could have sneezed and Satan would have been no more. But God's cool. And so God decides, I'm, gonna, I'm going to defeat Satan with a creation that looks like me, but will freely do, choose to do what he wouldn't, and that is a creation that looks like me that will choose to worship me. So I'll make a creation that looks like me that will choose to worship me and I will let them destroy him. <laughs> and so God on earth puts a little place called Eden. It's a garden and he puts man in there and takes man out of woman. And then God speaks to man. He says, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and take dominion. Here's what he's saying. Here's all the earth. You're going to start here, but as you multiply, you have kids who have kids who have kids. You look like me. Your kids look like me, your grandkids. So you just keep multiplying. And as you multiply, you increase the garden and you subdue it. That means to bring under your control and then have dominion. It means reign over it. So in the same way, God told Israel when they went into the promised land, you're going to drive out the enemy a little bit at a time. Why? Because if you took the whole promised land, it'd be too much for you. He told Adam and Eve, you're just going to over time increase the rule of the kingdom over the earth. And so with that, God gave them a commission. He also gave them the keys. Psalm 115, 16, the heavens and the heavens are the Lord, and the heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. And so God said, because you're going to reign, you're going to be the king over this earth, 
here are the keys to this kingdom. And now you have the authority and the access. That's what keys are. It's authority to access. You have the authority and the access to the kingdom so that on earth as it is in heaven can be accomplished. Then Adam and Eve fall. They sin. What happens? Well, you become a slave to whoever you obey. So the, the colonization project was overthrown. Adam and Eve became slaves to a new kingdom because Satan took the keys and now we have a kingdom of darkness. And Adam and Eve, in fact, mankind became slaves of that kingdom. It continues that way until Jesus shows up. There's one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. Every kingdom has to have land. That's the source of their power. They have to have space. They have to have land. They have to have terrain. So the kingdom of darkness rules the earth. And that's why the good news was not that you can die and go to heaven. The good news was when Jesus came, he said, the good news is there is now a kingdom present here again that is going to overthrow that kingdom so that on earth it can be as it is in heaven. Satan comes to Jesus and he says in the temptation in the wilderness, he says, if you will worship me, I will give you all of these kingdoms. And Jesus said, I get it. I get it. From the beginning, Satan, you've wanted worship and you know I'm here for the kingdom. And so Satan said, yeah, if you'll worship me, I'll give you the kingdom. And Jesus said, no doing. I think I'll take both. Because you don't, negotiate with, you don't negotiate with a terrorist and you don't offer something that belongs to you. So Jesus then goes to the cross. I think had Satan really known, Satan always overplays his hand. And I think Jesus decided to lay his life down. Satan's like, I've got him. I'm going to kill him. I think if Satan had known that God's plan all along was for Satan to kill him, on his best day, on his best day, Satan works for God. If Satan really would have known what would have happened when Jesus died, he'd have killed anyone that was trying to kill him. But instead, Jesus says, here I am. He kills him. Next thing you know, there's a knock on the door in hell. There's no war. Just a knock. I think he had my keys. Adam misplaced them, but I think I know where they are. I think they're mine. And then next thing you know, he's leading captivity captive. And on Easter morning, he steps out of the tomb. Interesting fact. Steps out of the tomb and Mary tries to grab him. He says, nope, don't touch me. Go get the band back together. But then, then that afternoon, he appears to, appears to the disciples and says, okay, Thomas, I want you to touch the wounds. Interesting. Don't touch me, touch the wounds. What happened? Where was he at between morning and afternoon? Well, he's in heaven. The Bible said, how could he ascend unless he first descended? And then he ascended to the Father, was glorified, came back, and now he said, okay, you can touch the wounds. Now he said, okay, guys, now that we've got the band back together, we're going to be back to plan A. Because there was never a plan B. And so he said, now... I've given you the keys to the kingdom. You can't lose them this time because I got them. Yeah. Here are the keys to the kingdom. Whatever's loosed in heaven, you can loose on earth. Whatever's bound in heaven, you can bind on earth, and the gates of hell cannot prevail. Guys, we're going to be back to plan A on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus gives us a model prayer. 
It's not really his prayer. His prayer is in John 17 where he prayed for you. But when they ask him about praying, he's like, here's the first thing you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's, it's, we, we read it as a petition. It's not a petition. It's a declaration. In the original language, it would have been kingdom of God come, will of God be done. Because God has limited his activity on the earth to the prayers of his kings, to his royals, to his people, to his family. And so Jesus is like, hey guys, this is how you pray because this is the plan. So he hands them the keys. He says, we're back to plan A. Now here's, here's the caveat to that because Jesus says something else. Not only did he say, I must preach the gospel of the kingdom. This was the purpose I was sent for. First John 3, 8 also tells us that for this reason was the son of God manifest or did he appear that he would destroy the works of the enemy. See, when, when Adam had the keys, there were really no works of the enemy because Adam had never had authority or power to rule. I'm sorry, Satan hadn't. When Satan took Adam's keys, he, he gained authority and power to rule and establish the kingdom. And now that kingdom had works. And so Jesus says, now we're going to rule. But part of that is we have to basically destroy every stronghold of hell. That's why he says the gates of hell can't prevail. That now as we go to take subdue and take dominion, we're going to run into places where hell has established a stronghold. And what he's saying, though, is you have the keys. So hell, it is at best squatting on what belongs to you. Has no authority to stay there. Any place in your life where you encounter hell, you need to understand it only has authority to stay there as long as you say it does. All authority has been given to Jesus. Then he said, I give it to you. Now go. So how much authority do you have through Jesus? All. How much does hell have? So the caveat is that now in our our quest, our commission to see heaven on the earth, we're going to encounter the works of the enemy. In fact, you've been commissioned into a conflict. Now, if you signed up for the Christian cruise, <laughs> God bless you. I'm sorry. But you've actually been commissioned into a conflict. In fact, one time Jesus was casting out demons. I know we don't believe in those mostly because they're hiding in churches, but but if you were to go with me on a mission field, you'll find some. And Jesus is casting out demons and, and the religious people, because they're stupid, said he's casting out demons because he's a demon. And Jesus is like, boys, sit down. Let's, let's have a strategy talk here. And he said, if I cast out demons by the power of Satan, then a kingdom is divided against itself and it couldn't stand anyway. It would have no authority. It would have no power. And then he said this, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. What he's saying, and he's explaining to his disciples, he's like, here's what you need to understand. I cast, there was a demon cast out. How was it cast out? By the Spirit of God. What does that mean? The kingdom of God is here. He's like, welcome to an object lesson. This was a lab, right? Demon, spirit, Kingdom. He's explaining it to his disciples so when it happens again, they'll be able to actually see what's going on. What he's saying is, see guys, my kingdom, the kingdom of light, encountered darkness and darkness never can win over light. The gates of hell cannot prevail. They don't have authority to prevail. Why? Because we have the keys. 
And so he's saying, I've actually commissioned you into a conflict whereby as you go and proclaim the kingdom is here, you're going to run into some strongholds of hell, some gates. And when you do, you let the kingdom that is in the spirit that is with you, you facilitate a collision between the two and know that it will have to yield every time. I like it because Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. See, you've got to understand this idea of the, the deity and the humanity of Christ. That Jesus was God, but he was man. He was God, but he limited. He restricted himself to be a man. He was fully God, but he was fully man. He took the form of, not just took the form of a man, but became a man, put on flesh. You need to know that, number one, because if he wasn't God, he didn't really die. If he didn't really die, he didn't really rise again. And, and now we're back out of luck. So he had to be a man because he had to die. Right? A man lost the keys. A man had to get them back. Right? But also, you need to understand that then everything that Jesus did was not sensationalism. It wasn't egotism. You know, he wasn't trying to convince everybody how cool he was. He didn't, he didn't do miracles to convince people that he was Jesus. An empty tomb is enough. Right? No offense, but if you let me do your funeral and then we go to the graveside and you let me throw dirt on you and three days later you walk into church, I'll write you a worship song and sing it. <laughs> he didn't do miracles to prove he was Jesus. The empty tomb is enough for that. He did miracles because he was a king of a kingdom that kept colliding with the strongholds of hell and every time he ran into hell, his kingdom won. He said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. So he was a man who, through the Spirit of God, cast out demons. See, if he was God and he did all these miracles because he was God, that's impressive, but it doesn't call me into anything. I mean, I'm impressed by it. Like, whoa, that was cool. Like, touch the leper, and then they're not a leper. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's cool. Spit a loogie on a blind man. It's awesome. It's cool, but it doesn't call me into anything. But if Jesus, who said, I can do nothing except the Father, and I can say nothing except the Father, if he was completely man, then now he has become the model New Testament believer. And that if the same spirit which raised him from the dead dwells in me, and I have keys and access and authority to the kingdom, now he's just an example of the life I'm supposed to live. See, if he's God, I'm off the hook. I don't need to do any miracles or anything like that, because that was God. But if he was a man who by the Spirit of God brought the kingdom of God, and it collided with hell, and hell gave way, if he did that as a man, that's now what he's called me into. See, his message was a solution of provision and a, and a mission. It was a solution to say, hell, hell or the kingdom of darkness is only full of lack. Heaven is only full of abundance. It's a, it's a solution. It's a provision. It's a power, meaning that heaven has the authority over whatever, has the power over whatever you're encountering. 
And it's a mission, meaning that he's called us into it. Now you go and announce this kingdom. You go and demonstrate, administer. Ministry is to administrate kingdom. Go administrate the kingdom. That's what he's actually called us into. So how do we do that? Well, you can only do that the same way Jesus did it, by the Spirit. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God. So point number three, if you want to just write that down, how do we do that? You can only do that by the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a kingdom person and not be a Holy Spirit person. And this is why Satan has worked so hard to get the Holy Spirit out of the church because people get nervous when churches start talking about the Holy Spirit. And church history is really good because we're people. Church history is always a pendulum. It's like on this side, if you want to be a Holy Spirit church, it means you got to run around with banners and hit people and throw oil and take up snakes and all that. And so the way we, we counterbalance that is we come to this side and we say, we just won't talk much about him. We don't want to let Wild Bill out. <laughs> and we will have a form of godliness that has no kingdom present because the kingdom is only present by the Spirit. But at least no one will get nervous, including hell. But we'll feel better. We had a good genre of believerhood, a good genre of Christianity. Religion at best is a substitute, is hell's substitute for kingdom. Believe it or not, you can have the Holy Spirit and not act weird. In fact, some of you are thinking, no, I went to one of those Holy Spirit churches and they acted weird. It wasn't. The Holy Spirit's not weird. People are. And there are weird people without the Holy Spirit. Right? They just weren't at that church. They were at Walmart at midnight. In their pajamas. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> Apparently, there's only one way to shop at Walmart at midnight, and that is in your pajamas or your Batman costume. Either way, um, <laughs> and so you can't be kingdom people if you're not Holy Spirit people. John chapter 3, Luke has, uh, John has a conversation. Jesus has a conversation. John records it. John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you see that? There again, born again, the spirit is now present. Now all of a sudden I have access. Who has known the mind of God except the spirit of God? Who has the spirit of God except us? Therefore, we can know the mind of God. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. All of a sudden, by the spirit of God, I gain access, an ability to see, an ability to hear. He says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. But he doesn't stop there because in verse 5, he goes a little bit farther. He said, I say, unless you are born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Now, I don't know what your theology is. I can tell you mine. I'm going to tell you mine in like two sentences, and I don't have time to preach it. However, for your benefit, I did a whole series about the Holy Spirit called Friend Request. It is online in, I, in iTunes or podcast or whatever. It's all free. You can go back and listen to all of it. But I think there are three baptisms. He said, if you're born of God, born again, born again, what is that? According to, according to the Bible, to be born of God or to be born again is what we call salvation. And that is explained this way. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. And when we are baptized into his body is what it says. The Holy Spirit baptizes into the body or into Jesus. 
Then there's baptism of water. That's where a disciple immerses us in water. But then there's a baptism of the Spirit, and the grammar is not the same as the first, because the first is the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body, a disciple baptizes us into the water, and then Spirit baptism, then Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. So you can hold to your theology, let's just talk about grammar. If you study it, they're not the same. There's a big difference between the Holy Spirit baptizing me into a body and Jesus baptizing me with a spirit. Okay? Not trying to sell you on it, just trying to explain so the rest of the message makes sense. And so you can't be a kingdom person if you're not a Holy Spirit person. Salvation is not actually primarily aimed at getting you to heaven. It is actually aimed at helping you win and live victoriously, helping you reign by the Spirit on the earth. Do you think when God made Adam that he knew what he was going to purpose or commission Adam to do. Yeah, I think so, because he's like all-knowing. <laughs> think about this. He wants a man to reign on the earth. He wants a son. He wants a king. How does, how does he make him? He breathes in him. Right? Salvation. Now, Adam didn't need water baptism because he had never sinned. Right, water baptism, where we, we cut off the sinful nature. Right, it's the circumcision of the heart, Paul says. So he didn't need that one. Now, most people think Adam and Eve were naked because it says their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. And, you know, if you were at Guys Night, we talked about this. What a great day to be running around naked in the garden with your wife, <laughs> petting cheetahs, eating grapes. Hallelujah. I want to submit something. I think the truth was their eyes were closed and they saw they were naked. Because I think they were actually clothed by the presence of God. And when they lost the ability to see in that realm, they thought they were naked. Why? Because they were created to reign. And you reign by the Spirit. Follow me. Jesus, John 20, 21 he says, as the Father sends me, so I send you. What? To destroy the works of the enemy, to bring the kingdom. Watch verse 22. And when he had said this, he, I'm sending you to reign. But that's the Holy Spirit in them. If you follow the chronological, the chrono, chronology, yeah, yeah, chronologically follow the gospels, then you see that Jesus says, I'm sending you. He breathes on them. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. But before you go, Luke 24, wait on the promise of the Father where you will be endued. That word means clothed with power. Holy Spirit in, Holy Spirit on. The Holy Spirit is in you so you can see the kingdom. He's on you so you can bring the kingdom. Good. Yeah. Adam, Holy Spirit on. I believe Holy, Holy Spirit in, Holy Spirit on. That's what I believe. 
I think Jesus, when he got ready to send out his disciples, Holy Spirit in, now go wait until he comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're going to go into all the world. I think one of the reasons the church has not been as effective as it, as it could be is we've tried to go without waiting because we don't wait because we're too scared of who might show up if we wait and that might ruin someone's thoughts about who we are as a people. Can I help you with this? Here's the problem I have. In, 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 some, in some places, not in all places, but in some places, the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and certain things happen and then people just learn how to do certain things to convince other people the Holy Spirit's there. And all that is is religion. The Holy Spirit's not about acting any certain way. It's about bringing a kingdom. And you can come up here and act all sorts of ways and that doesn't mean it's the presence of God. Just like you may not even move and it could be the presence of God. Last weekend um, in the Saturday night service, um, I said, I think, you know, I really feel like God's healing someone's left hip. And I always say, hey, if that happens and God does something, will you email us? Uh, the other night, a lady came up to me and she said, hey, cool story. When you said, I wish someone, you know, I think God's healing someone's left hip. I thought to myself, I wish God would heal my hip. It was her left hip. She said, I didn't feel anything. I didn't fall down. I, no tinglies, no warm. And now, that stuff happens. That's fine. But she's like, I didn't feel anything. She said, it took about two days for me to realize my hip doesn't hurt anymore. So I'm saying, yes, sometimes God moves powerfully and stuff happens, but, but the goal should be leaning into the presence and leaning into the spirit, not doing stuff to convince somebody you're spiritual. That's Phariseeism. Matthew 10, I think, is the greatest picture of what it's like to live the gospel. Jesus said, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is what he's telling us to do. It's what it looks like to live the gospel. Then notice he says, <laughs> heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. Do you see that? Notice there is not a separation between the message and the miracles. Because let's face it, religion separates these. Well, we don't believe in that, but we believe in this. We believe in the Great Commission. No, no, no. We don't believe in healing. We believe in the Great Commission. We don't believe in demons. <laughs> That's usually because the demons are running the church. But anyways. <laughs> Man, it's time we just like hashtag it, get real. All right. <laughs> and so they've separated the message from the miracles. And mostly they've separated the spirit from the message. And we change the message so you can die and go to heaven instead of there's a kingdom in this room that has a solution and a provision and a mission for you and can remove any place where hell is squatting on your territory. People say, well, the, the gospel is not miracles. Okay, I get it, but neither is the gospel complete without miracles. He said, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. I know some people, some people don't believe miracles, some people do. My personal take, if the people who said they believe in miracles could perform the miracles, the other group would die out. But we're never going to proclaim, we're never going to see miracles until number one, we get the right good news that there's a kingdom. And number two, we become people of the spirit who have access 
to the kingdom and learn how to administrate it. Go into all the world, preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the left, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. Now, I want to skip down a couple of verses. I think it's verse 11. Watch this, because it's kind of, it gets freaky from here. Like, if you thought that was weird, we're going to get weirder. Because watch what he says. Now, enter a city or town, you, in, in the, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into that household, greet it. Now, watch this. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Have y'all been doing that this week? What does that mean? Like, let your peace come upon it. That could be draw down. Like, I got a peace. Here's my peace. Anyways, that's not what it means. Um, peace is the substance of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is righteous, peace, and joy. Uh, righteousness is the nature of the kingdom. Peace is the substance of the kingdom. Joy is the fruit of the kingdom. Right? Joy is always associated with the vine. It's a fruit. Righteousness, right, is, is, the, is the nature. Until we're made righteous, we can't experience peace. Peace is the substance. Shalom. In the Old Testament, Jesus said, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives. They don't have this. This is a different realm. This is a different thing. And so what he says, the substance of the kingdom. In other words, here's what he's saying. You carry with you, on you, the substance of the kingdom. And you go to rule, to reign by the Spirit. And when you come to a place, you see if there's hunger or faith so that what is on you can actually rest on them. Do you remember Noah's ark? Noah released a dove to see if it could find a place to rest. What's a dove? It's a dove symbolized, Holy Spirit. He releases a dove and it comes back. Why? It couldn't find a place to rest. Then he releases it again and it doesn't come back. And that's how he knew the waters had receded. Why? Because the dove always looks for a place to rest. What he said is you carry the dove and you live. Bill Johnson says live thinking of only the dove. If I had a dove that was sitting on my shoulder, he was resting on me. Then every movement, every action, every word, would de every deed that I did, if I didn't want him to leave, would be with the dove in mind. And when I walked into a place, I would see if that dove could then rest there. And if it couldn't find a place to rest, it would come back and I would go to the next place. This is what it's like to live the gospel. Go and preach the good news of the kingdom. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. Carry the presence of the kingdom into every place you go and see if there's hunger or faith for it to rest there. Because there's hunger or faith, there's righteousness, it will rest there. And then you carry it again to another place and see if it will rest. And little by little, you drive all of hell out of the earth until heaven is on earth and earth looks like heaven. That's what it's like to live the gospel. Come on, can you give Jesus a hand? That's good preaching. That is good preaching. <laughs> Man, why are you staying with me?